At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is it. Final awards for the season. Danny and I went through, took a fresh look at everything, did our best not to let our previous evaluations affect where we ended up here, though obviously it's a, a similar thought process, so you'll notice a lot of the same themes, but I, I think we'll end up with some differences as we really go through towards the end here with the, what's happened to some of these teams or players in the last month or so. But let's start with the most valuable player. Danny LaRue, your 2018-19 NBA MVP is... Giannis, I I think, so the way that I am thinking about the MVP race, Harden, his offensive value is is absolutely incredible, and his case is, is really strong. And so in order to beat that kind of a season, to me, what needed to happen was somebody who more than made up the margin on defense, because like you, I feel that offense is more important and you can provide, you know, more, more surplus value. You can really do some, really do some damage there and help make life easier on your teammates. And I think that Giannis did that. He was a very important offensive player, not at the same caliber, but also we did our all defense pod recently he was my number two for defensive player of the year so that's the type of split that you needed to beat Harden this year and I think Giannis did it yeah you feel it's obvious that Harden is the more valuable offensive player between those two yeah I do I mean the impact metrics would agree with you yeah the impact metrics would certainly agree with you uh in terms of offensive RPM offensive PIPM um so although they're I think most of where that comes from too is Harden just having a lot more usage you know Giannis is at 31 Harden I think this is the second highest usage season of all time Giannis is more efficient but I think if you have to say is 64% true shooting on 31 usage or 61% true shooting on 40 usage more impressive I'd probably go with the latter but I, I think that the defensive impact versus Harden's negative defensive impact and we've talked about this before but to reiterate yes he holds up okay in the post he gets some seals he's a good help defender in part because he's not guarding his man and he doesn't have to go as far when he's a, a help defender but the negative aspects on the Rockets system and the way that they have to really cater just about everything to his weaknesses when he's a guard and somewhat to his strengths too i mean he he is at least capable of playing the switching system but uh the way they have to cater all of that to him i would go with Giannis as well i mean Giannis certainly has the traditional case in the sense that his net rating his on off differential much better than Harden's he's on a team that was statistically during this season you know one of the top 30 regular seasons of all time 
easily the best team in the NBA the entire year, and he was the, the number one driver of that. So I, I think you it is a testament to how good Harden was this year that he comes close to winning this in my mind, even given the traditional case that Giannis has. But ultimately, what it comes down to as well, for me, if it is really close, and I think Giannis has a enough of a lead here for me that I wouldn't say it's really, really close. Certainly enough to think about it, and certainly where if you're a Houston fan or you're a Harden fan or... I completely understand how you could say, how is it possible for a guy to have a season like this and not be the MVP? But I also think that Giannis is the better player. And I, in situations where it's really close, I am okay with almost for historical posterity purposes, defaulting to the guy that I think is the better player. And I think you and I both had Giannis ranked above Harden. Now, part of that is with projected playoff performance in mind. This is a regular season award, but that's where I end up on it. I I think with the historic season that the Bucs had and Giannis himself, while it's not traditionally, but by some of the traditional stats, as historic as Harden, where just points per game, I think Harden is either going to be first or second in terms of total points in a season when non-wilt seasons are considered just at Kobe 0506 Jordan in 86-87 but Giannis's numbers are just as unprecedented in terms of his efficiency and usage and the number of unassisted dunks and then when you throw in his defensive impact as well this is a this shouldn't be lost that this is a historically great season from Giannis in addition to a historically great season from Harden. And it's not just the team success that we're focusing on here. Yeah, I like that I framed it in terms of like what needed to beat Harden's season and you framed it in terms of what would have needed to beat Giannis's because the unquestioned best player on the best team putting up the season that Giannis did where he's one of the most valuable offensive players in the league and also one of the most valuable defensive players, it would take something ridiculous to beat that. Like to me, I'm just going off the cuff a little bit here. I think this Giannis MVP season would have beaten Russell Westbrook's, for example. I think it would have... Last year's Harden, I would have to really think, I probably would beat that too. And so it just so happens, I mean, Harden's having this, uh, I'd have to yeah, think I don't about, know about I have to think about I don't it. know about last year's Harden. That's, I mean, that like with... Because that team was so yeah. ridiculous. That's that's yeah. an interesting point. And he was, of course, the driver of that team as well. Yeah, I'd have to think about that. But I mean, this, this is an incredible Giannis season. I mean, this is a, a, a different type of, can't, a different type of resume than we've seen in the last couple of years. The closest analog I had in recent vintage was Kawhi Leonard, a couple yeah. of years ago, but Kawhi didn't play nearly enough games. Like that was the biggest, the biggest weakness of his season. And Giannis doesn't have that. It is true that Harden has played about 500 more minutes than Giannis as of now. And that is a consideration. You know, if it had been, if it, had, it, it tightens it because the more minutes you play, that's more value that you're providing to your team. I, I mitigate a small part of that, not all of it, but a small part of it because some of a portion of the minutes that Giannis didn't play was because his team was ahead by so much. Like the minutes per game, I think some of that is just, this is paralleling Curry in... I think that was 1415 yes. where the where the Warriors were winning by so much like Harden's counting stats were higher than Curry's but it was partially fueled by that. But then the other part is Harden's played in more games and all that and of course he gets credit, full credit for for all that. And yeah, it's it's a great it's a it ended up being a two-man race. I had Paul George first before, but I mean, he's fallen a little bit back and those guys have stepped up and they've been fantastic. All right, here's my 3 through 5. And I thought there're overall five players that I considered for these last three spots. Number 3, I went Went with Kevin Durant ultimately over Paul George. George has struggled since the, the shoulder injury. I thought that a lot of what he was doing 
when he was in the top three was based on some unsustainable shooting his team performance has fallen off quite a bit he's still right up there in some of the impact metrics but pipm kd a slight edge on paul george and a big edge on offense rpm george with a big edge on kd he's actually number one in rpm but kd still rates very well there but it ultimately just boiled down to me thinking kevin durant is better than paul george i think they have relatively similar cases but that's why i went with kd uh and then george i had at number four i thought he was a pretty clear number four to me and then for five i had a choice between three guys damian lillard nikola Jokic, and stephen curry and i ultimately went with damian lillard our only difference of opinion is that i had paul george over kd that was it was a close call and for me i lean back on the more valuable idea of this just oklahoma city's offense dropping by 12.5 points per 100 possessions when george sat now some of that is the surrounding talent and the lack of shooting and all that kind of stuff just just some of it just some of it but also like i mean i think for me it was striking just when they had everybody but paul george how how different oklahoma city looked and he's another defensive like while Kevin Durant is capable defensively, Paul George played at a defensive player of the year conversation level, and that is huge. It was big for Oklahoma City's defense. But yeah, that was it, it was a close call. Like I, I was between those two. And for me, I focused, uh, Jokic, totally fine to have him in consideration. I was m- a little bit higher on Lillard and Curry. And the real tiebreaker for me to give it to Lillard was playing time. Lillard missed, uh, he played 500 more minutes than Steph. So even if to me, if you argue, and I would, that Stephen Curry was a better per minute player this year 500 minutes out of 2700 is a lot like that that's a a pretty significant difference and Lillard has had to shoulder a pretty big burden with not only CJ being out all this time but Nurkic with with his horrible leg injury and not every game since then has been you know a winner an absolute classic by Dan but a a fair number of them have he's kept them in kept them in the mix and that's really impressive so yeah and and what cracked me up I was going back after I don't look at my previous year's awards until after I finished I had forgotten that Lillard got into the final five of my MVP last year too, having not been in it earlier in the year. And so yeah. I, I don't know if that's that he closes really well or that I gain a greater appreciation for what he does. But oh, and also I think last year it was Steph Curry missed some time towards the end of the year. So was that? Yeah. So our criteria here, I think, for both of us is just who gave their teams the most value this year towards winning basketball games. You know, I think that that's what I go for with most valuable player. I try to. There isn't an official criteria, but the word valuable is in the name uh all nba team though i have a different criteria and that criteria is who are the best players at their position this season so i actually have steph curry on first team all nba and lillard on second despite having lillard higher in mvp i I hope that makes intellectual sense to people that it's the criteria a little bit different for those awards i do the same for me as long as you meet certain thresholds like enough to think that it's a a worthy sample i go far more heavily towards most outstanding to me all nba yeah the best players in the league is a fair way of doing it or best seasons and value so like a lot of the weight that comes with that you know like for example paul george having this season that i think was more it was outstanding too but i think it was more valuable than outstanding he gets he gets hurt a little bit in this and then other guys steph curry the same thing he's less valuable because of the time he missed but was great when he played so let's i guess we should start with the guard line considering we're already starting there 
Yeah, so, so Curry and Harden, first team, I, I assume you're in agreement there. I am. And uh, then. Well, so, so why is Curry better, uh, higher than Lillard? I think he's you? a better offensive player. And uh, yeah. he, he, and on a per minute basis, I mean, I originally had Curry fifth, and then I was sitting there going, like, well, Dame played 500 more minutes. That's really important. And they're both, they're close. Like, they're, they're both really, really good players. So. For yeah, me, and and Curry is better on defense too. Yeah, I would I would say that's fair too. If if you have to use that as a tiebreaker, which I I don't. And uh, it's true that Cur- it's true that Curry has you know he has a lot of surrounding talent on both ends of the floor, but he is such a such an offensive driver and linchpin for them that you can you can extrapolate that out even if because we've seen it in other circumstances and you know you do see the little moments of him taking a step back and all that kind of stuff but he's still just an unbelievable offensive player yeah and Steph Curry for the season number one in the NBA in net rating again Warriors 50 and 17 when he played 119 offensive rating per NBA.com with him on the floor 13.5 net rating overall number number two is uh Danny Green this is among players who played more than 40 games and more than 15 minutes per game Giannis by the way third in that category at 12.6 KD fourth at, at or uh, 11.4 so second team, I think there's a big gap again. Damian Lillard and Kyrie Irving, I think, are clearly above anyone in the group afterwards for third team. And I'm guessing that you're in agreement there as well. I am. Yeah, in terms of impact metrics, especially on offense, the overall traditional statistics, the on-off data doesn't really seem, and just also who I think are better players. You know, I, I don't think it's really close between Lillard and Irving and the guys below them. But now we really get down to it. This is one of the hardest decisions that well, I had to make. And yeah, not right. only that, but think about the the contractual financial implications of these decisions. It just so happens that the toughest call is has the largest league-wide ramifications because of uh, eligibility theoretically for designated v- veteran contract. Yeah, Clay Thompson, Kemba Walker, Bradley Beal, all of those guys. And the only reason it doesn't affect Drew Holiday is because his contract goes out longer. And he's actually been around longer than than a lot of these guys who've been amazing that Drew Holiday 2009 draft. And was the youngest guy in the league that year, I believe. Right, right. So, but, so here are the five that I considered. Drew Holiday, Clay Thompson, Kemba Walker, Bradley Beal, Mike Conley Jr., Russell Westbrook. We've talked to, on past programs about how with his inefficiency, although he has come on lately, but overall, other than just looking at points, rebounds, and assists, I don't think there's much of a case for Westbrook to be in this group. Many will disagree. If I had to guess, he will actually be one of the third-team All-NBA guards just due to reputation and anchoring and average a triple-double for three years in a row. But I didn't think he's close, just too inefficient this season. The offense, when he is on the floor and George isn't, don't think he's a defensive positive. Even now, when he doesn't have the ball, he never cuts. He has no gravity. Teams don't guard him. Not the same as a fast break force as he used to be free throw shooting has been off it's really difficult for me to put him in this group but because and sorry for spending as much time on it as i did but because other people are going to rate him highly i feel it's necessary to explain why we're not uh I'll let you go first here. I, I I really I struggled to come up with a great way to differentiate between these guys. To be honest, I did too. So I gave the first spot. I thought the guy who separated himself a little bit was Drew Holiday. Really nice offensive season, but also 
by far the best defender of this group other than Clay. I didn't consider Clay as heavily as these other guys, mostly because they all had much more significant roles within the offense. And I value that. And so, you know, Drew, not the best of both worlds, but had a, had a, a really nice combination of, of those, of the two ways on the court. And then the last spot was between Kemba, Bradley Beal, Mike Conley. And there are no bad choices there. I, I will, I will say that outright, you know, Beal is the most efficient and the most prolific scorer. Conley is the leading assister. I would say Conley is probably the best defender of those three. And Kemba is kind of between the two. He's more, he's a better assist guy than Beal, higher usage than Conley, and not as efficient as Beal. And I ended up going with Bradley Beal because I was really impressed with his combination of scoring and shot creation. And I don't know if it's a tiebreaker, but it's kind of along those lines that I'm really impressed that Beal took on a larger role in season because that is a different challenge. You know, this, this is when John Wall, what got hurt, they needed someone to step up. The same thing happened last year and he did it last year as well. And I, I respect that. I mean, the team wasn't built to be a Bradley Beal team and yet it became a Bradley Beal team. And I thought he did a really good job. So I ended up going with him, but I will not argue with any of those choices. They're all wonderful. For me, I just ended up default. Just looking at some of the strengths and weaknesses. I mean, everybody has strengths. Everyone has weaknesses. Holiday, best in the impact metrics, probably the worst offensive player maybe in this group and played the fewest games after getting shut down for uh, that groin injury. But definitely the best defensive player of this group, either Thompson, second best defender. Conley used to be really good. Now I think he's uh, about average. And then uh, Beal and Walker, I think, are pretty clear negatives defensively. Thompson really struggled for the first two months of the year, though. And lowest in terms of the impact metrics, PIPM, RPM. He's also the best fit as a player probably has the fewest weaknesses in his game of this group at least that can be exploited directly by the opposition walker if we did this a couple of months ago would have been an easy shoe in but has really fallen off and i think at a terrible time too that that the hornets could have been in this playoff chase certainly he had a lot of flux around him it's not all his fault but i thought there were a lot of games down the end that he kind of disappeared in a way that it wasn't happening earlier in the season and maybe if he'd been able to maintain his performance from earlier in the year then they might have made the playoffs Beal I just certainly the most impressive traditional numbers of this group also actually the most efficient as well while carrying I think the second highest offensive load behind Walker but the defense has been a problem I think he's taking a step back there he's playing a ton of minutes uh, that's maybe partially in his favor here I also don't think of Beal as oh man we just can't stop this guy that he presents just like incredible difficulties from a scheme defense perspective and then Conley I love what he did too I mean he was right up there in this group uh, among the impact metrics his ability to get to the foul line when he basically never gets to the basket is uh, incredibly impressive if not aesthetically pleasing and, and he's still a uh, a decent enough defender so with the ability to make arguments for all of these guys i just defaulted to the question of who i think are the two best players and that's drew holiday and clay thompson for me uh and just who would i rather have at the start of a season to to try and win some games and maybe even get into the playoffs i do think there again is a posterity aspect to all nba and maybe drew was at a level this year where he's a, a little bit above that but i like the two-way aspect of his game i think he's going to continue to play 
really well. He was playing a ton of minutes before he got hurt. I think were it not for that injury at the end, Drew would have been clearly one of the two. You know, I think he he would have been above the rest of these guys to me. So that's part of why I put him in there. And Thompson, I admit it is difficult to form a statistical case for him in comparison to some of these other guys. But nonetheless, I, I think when it gets down to it, he's a better player. I thought that his shooting the first couple months of the year were well below his career norms. Whereas for someone like Walker, he was well above his career norms at the beginning of the year and fell back. And so I think that Thompson, his true level of performance is more comparable to what he did the second half of the year than Walker's is for what he did the first half of the year. So that's where I end up. I I really don't have a great argument other than just my subjective assessment that those two guys are the best players because you can form a great argument for all these guys and this is one of the harder decisions that we've had in this for a while. So you're in disagreement, obviously. You said you didn't really consider Clay that much. He was he was behind the other guys. Also, for me, he's such a dependent offensive player overall, and these guys had to do a lot for themselves. I think that that's it, it's a factor for me. And so, yeah, Clay Thompson is is efficient, but he's efficient in a in a different way. Like I think if I'm not saying Bradley Beal is like as good a shooter as Clay, but I think a lot of his stuff would ramp up if he were able to get shots created by you know Steph and and kd and all that kind of stuff yeah i don't know i'm i actually when you look at some of the shots that clay took and his usage his usage is not that far behind beals he took a lot of mid-rangers early in the season partially because he wasn't hitting the three i think and yeah he doesn't get to the foul line at all he's not setting up other players so much of it again depend I mean, there are plenty of teams that would rather have beal there are plenty of teams that would rather have clay you know it just depends where you are as a franchise do you need more creation do you need more play finishing i think that clay could have more stuff run for him we've never seen any kind of development from him as a pick and roll ball handler but they just that hasn't been what golden state has done i mean i think he's quite capable of pulling a three off the dribble and a pick and roll so uh, that's something that maybe he could have done more of if he were in a different team but this is this we're getting too far afield here probably um yeah i think we can move on to the forwards which are i would say much more straightforward i mean it's just i think there's one real delineation thing which i think we're going to disagree on but other than that it's not too big so Giannis we both have his MVP he has a spot we don't even need to discuss that then the next spot is between Paul George and Kevin Durant I'm guessing you went with KD as you had him higher at MVP and the difference in these awards I still went with Paul George some of this is the kind of posterity argument I think Paul George was better overall than KD I thought the difference in in defensive value was important and I mean Durant's having a wonderful year but I don't know I just I I thought that it it felt appropriate to me that while it was a really close call and you're probably going to go the other direction I wanted to give Paul George the nod. Yeah, I am going to go the other direction, especially because KD is just better than Paul George. Um, But then second team, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi certainly has not played a ton of games, but on a per play basis, he's been great and a linchpin of this Toronto team that has been either the second or third best team in the in the league all season he has missed games due to injury and uh, load management rather than well I shouldn't say due to injury but he's been missing a game here a game there it can kind of be managed back to backs playing against bad teams that they can beat without him anyway i find that less damaging than when you just miss a swath of time doing it to an acute injury 
and you know his team has been really good whereas uh the guys uh, the guy in the third team lebron james he did get shut down for the rest of the season that hurts his argument a little bit in terms of minutes but I mean, with the season toronto had versus the season the lakers had you could make the argument that james who's still in the top 10 in rpm this season was a little bit better than leonard depending on what you need this season but when you look at what happened to the lakers and where the raptors are i think you clearly have to go with Kawhi Le- above lebron and then so i had lebron third team and blake griffin and didn't really have any other serious candidates below those guys it really kind of drops off uh, at forward if you wanted to count lamarcus aldridge as a forward or if you wanted to count carl anthony towns as a forward which the nba is for some crazy reason doing i'm not going to count him as a forward i think aldridge also he doesn't play forward i mean that's it's ridiculous yeah uh, you know i mean maybe you could say taj gibson's a center but yeah towns and jang haven't really played together at all this year i I don't know why that is but uh towns as well could get a little fatter there because i do think if towns were a forward i'd probably put him over griffin but he's just not <laughs> so uh and, and lomarcus has a little bit of a, a case too but he's also kind of a center at this point in time now and i don't think he's been as good as blake griffin has this this year either griffin has had uh really a, quite the revelation of a season and uh deserves a ton of credit for the way that he's expanded his game and, and been able to remain relevant with uh massively declining athleticism i am very intrigued by both our PM and PIPM's love of LeBron James defense this year that has that like doesn't it doesn't really pass the eye test to me that Le- he is love like of what LeBron's defensive art like LeBron's defensive stuff I mean to me like so he is at an in, in RPM LeBron's at a, his defense is at a plus 1.74 that's incredibly high that's like you know some of the better perimeter players are around that level or like less valuable centers and then in PIPM he's a, a clear positive and like he's I think that, you know, some of the, like, the, the clips of him not moving or anything like that, some of those are, are overstating the, the negative part of it. But really, like, you talked about how he's he's ahead of Kawhi in the, the on-off kind of stuff. It's due to that. It's mostly due to that perception rather than him being a way better offensive player. And that doesn't really... I, I'm I'm not criticizing their, like, I don't know what's in the black box, so I can't say that. It just surprised me. And I don't factor that in as much because I don't... Th- I, it doesn't reflect what I saw this season. So were there any other forwards that you had in the mix? Not really. There were other forwards that are having a good year, but not as good a year. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, for, I, I want to mention like Pascal Siakam and Gallinari had good years, but I didn't seriously consider them. So we don't need to go too far into it. And then, then we get into the absolute just knockdown drag out between all of the different center options, many different cases. I mean, you have uh, in that kind of main group, you have four, depending on how, so I'm going to count Anthony Davis here. I'm telling you, he's not going to make one of my teams, but he's had a really good year. And so just want to mention it. Four of them are pretty high usage, very talented offensive players. Gobert is lower than them, but he's also the defensive player of the year and does a good job with the limited role that he's asked to do offensively. I think that he's he's a slight positive, but he's more, he's reliably positive, which is, which is definitely a good thing. And I ended up going with Joel Embiid as my first team player. I can, I think if we're doing this in terms of most valuable, there is a very an argument for Jokic. I mean, the role that he plays within his team's offense is incredibly. I mean, it's huge. It's a he is a lot of what makes them work. 
Embiid is more traditional in that he is a he is a very capable offensive player and dominant uh, at many times as well, though not as central as Nikola Jokic is. But to me, the difference between those two defensively, even if Embiid didn't have the year, you know, maybe we kind of hoped that he would have this be this really transcendent defensive player, still meaningfully better than Jokic. And at most other positions, that that split that I just described would give the edge to Jokic. But center is has different rules, and so I applied my own standard, which is that defense is more important to centers than offensively on than offense and that gave Embiid the edge yeah I think Embiid is better than Jokic I like Jokic offensively a little better than Embiid but you can even make the argument that for some teams that Embiid would be a better offensive player the problem is just I think ultimately the missed games for Embiid down the end of the year that's why I ended up going with Jokic I think it's extremely close between those two players so that's what I ended up using as the the tie break Embiid was a second team for me pretty clearly and I would understand if if you had Embiid first team as well but and had Embiid not missed that time down the end of the year I would have gone with him I think he's definitely better than Jokic is Jokic I had second team and then third team came down to Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns what ultimately sealed it was Carl Anthony Towns having a miserable first month of the season when Jimmy Butler was still on the team. Yes, that was a massive distraction. Yes, those guys didn't really get along by all reports, but Towns still was really bad that first month of the season when they were 4-9, and and maybe they wouldn't have gotten into the playoff mix because the bar ended up getting set pretty high by the Spurs and Clippers, but they could have had a much better season if he had just been himself that first part of the year, and he had probably the most impressive two-month stretch of anybody in this group but was just too inconsistent the rest of the time not a plus on defense it's arguable whether he or Jokic is the worst defensive player Jokic probably is a little more viable than him defensively this year if I went into a playoff series I might rather have Towns just because he's got a little more mobility but neither of them are amazing there and Gobert above Towns in the impact metrics as well especially if this Utah team had just played to their point differential and been like a 57 58 win team it would have been pretty obvious to me that it was Gobert so I do think Towns is a more valuable player than Gobert overall but just his inconsistency this season Gobert I mean Towns obviously plays a ton of games and minutes as does Gobert both those guys stayed healthy this year so that's not really a consideration either way but uh, yeah once again splitting hairs but falling back on the impact metrics favoring Gobert and the fact that Towns uh, was inconsistent at at critical times in the Wolves season so anything else to say uh, on All-NBA no I think that covered it pretty thoroughly all right well what we also would like to cover thoroughly is Team Rubicon we have a special link with them it is teamrubiconusa.org slash the org is because they are a charitable organization you actually found them when we were looking for a charity to use some of our advertising time on what was it about them that so attracted you danny yeah i've been a donor for them for a long time and for, for me it's the 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 concept of team rubicon and, and the the way that they execute it is really impressive so what what team rubicon does is they provide disaster relief for natural disasters in the US or internationally and how they do that is by you by d- using military veterans 
to to give them to, to basically to deploy them to these affected areas and so it it really does help everybody because the veterans are oftentimes looking for community looking for you know looking for to use their skills because they've developed through their time in the military they've developed these amazing skills that are sometimes hard to transfer fully to different situations that present themselves outside of that circumstance and so team rubicon unfortunately there are and will be natural disasters throughout our world and so they by building out this amazing network by building out this infrastructure they are providing needed service and filling a lot of gaps that present themselves at the absolute hardest times for human beings that in most circum in almost all circumstances did nothing you know they're just they're a victim of circumstance it's just a, a rough thing to happen they did great work with hurricane maria and you could go through so many the laundry list thankfully i mean they've they've been they've been a big part of of really helping out in a lot of natural disasters and i just love the work they do so if you're interested in making a donation to team rubicon or perhaps becoming a volunteer yourself you want to learn more about them see uh, their list of operations you go to team rubiconusa.org slash operations and if you do want to make a good donation team rubiconusa.org slash cap space easy to remember that slash cap space url so we talk about cap space all the time here team rubiconusa.org slash cap space and i highly encourage you to join us in making a donation it, part of the reason why we chose them for this is because it's totally apolitical helping with natural disasters uh, and helping to give veterans a, a sense of purpose is something that i think everybody can get behind all right let's get to coach of the year it's a really strong year of candidates a lot of coaches did excellent excellent work this year in a variety of challenging circumstances that could be elevating a roster that seemed ill-fitting or had to deal with severe injuries or identity changing injuries and the top guy didn't really have to do any of that kind of stuff he just transformed the entire team throughout this season and that's mike Boonholzer. even if and you and i both posited this at the time jason kidd was the worst coach in the league and then the kid prunty combination was really holding milwaukee back from being what they should be much less what they could be this is something altogether different they were unambiguously the best team in the league this regular season they are but they've been dominant on offense and on defense with largely similar personnel not identical but largely similar personnel and even if they had had let's say like replacement coach level last year to me Budenholzer would still be the coach of the year I think so we predicted that they or I don't know about we but I had them for 51 wins this year on the idea that you know having him in might add five wins and certainly the players themselves deserve a ton of credit for their individual skill development you're not going to say that oh Mike Budenholzer deserves all the credit for going from whatever it was 44 wins to it's going to be this year they've already wrapped up the number one seed so they're taking it a little easier now but they're in terms of their quality a 60 win team easily and they still project to get to over 60 wins this is one of the greatest one season improvements that we've ever seen and not only can you just look at it as a raw improvement but there are a ton of things that he specifically has implemented and helps with that you can point to whether it's reducing the fouling whether it's changing the scheme to take away shots at the rim whether it's 
increasing the defensive rebounding, which went from basically worst in the league to basically best in the league, in part due to the scheme changes that he made. Whether it was having this vision of always, 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 without fail, having four three-point shooters around Giannis Antetokounmpo. Whether it's getting great performances out of some of their depth pieces that hadn't necessarily proven themselves. Your Sterling Braun, DJ Wilson, those guys have been able to fit in. Malcolm Brogdon, helping him take a step forward, helping him get past a lot of his bad habits. So this is, he's been number one for me all year. To me, it's not even close getting a team from basically a neutral point differential to one of the best teams of all time. I mean, there's the fact that anyone would even begin to argue for any other coach. Like these other coaching performances, yes, there are a lot of good ones. We see those every year. You really have to go back to some of the most awesome coaching jobs at one season's improvements in NBA history, whether it's Steve Kerr in 14-15, Mike D'Antoni, and 0405 you just don't see this level of improvement every season I mean, this is a revolutionary improvement in this team so he is a clear number one now it gets really difficult though i mean i think you can make solid arguments for any of i would say five guys for these remaining two spots uh but uh, i'll let you take over here for the rest of your ballot we got three on our ballot here as you said a lot of great candidates and i i it's entirely possible i'm missing somebody but the the five that i considered most heavily were mike malone doc rivers nate mcmillan dave yeager and steve clifford and i ended up going with nate mcmillan number two part of that is coaching i think has a big impact on uh, on defense i think defense is a great way of calibrating how a coach's message is is being heard by his players and the pacers are still fourth including the glasses version of net rate of defensive rating and they have i mean miles turner has taken these huge steps forward defensively sabonis has as well they have a a roster full of like you know stable vets is probably the way you put it to think of them as one of the best teams in the league with this talent level is i i that's it's they're beyond what i expected and so and, and a lot of that is their work on the defensive end and they've done they've done so well Overall, though it has toned down since that that kind of some hot stretches, without Oladipo, the guy who was an All NBA player last year, the straw that stirred the drink for them offensively and a a value add on defense, especially with the steals, they're still forcing a bunch of turnovers this year, not fouling at all, which used to be a big bugaboo for for a lot of the guys who were still on this team. So. I, I, I think McMillan's job is really impressive. And then my number three, again, all of these are, are worthy candidates to me was Doc Rivers. Rivers gets it because of, of, of all these other people, because the Clippers through trades and there will be praise for this coming later through trades that were 100% justified and the right decision for the organization. They made trades deliberately to get assets in exchange for losing good players. Tobias Harris is the most obvious here. And they kept on putting it together. And while I give Doc Rivers a a demerit for playing such a weird and kind of bad starting lineup at the early part of the year when Avery Bradley and he's been better in Memphis, but when Avery Bradley was playing awfully and Marcin Gortat, who is now currently not playing in the NBA, those two guys to put together the season that he has from these players and with the turnover that they've had 
I'm just blown away. I think that's a a really hard job to do. And also, I think Doc is just an unbelievable regular season coach as well. So I don't think this is like us over or me. I should only speak for myself. Even though I I said they would go under their thing saying like, oh, they exceeded expectations. So he's doing a good coaching job. I, I think he's just a fantastic coach. I had the same five men that you mentioned. However, I had a different number two and number three. And those were Dave Yeager, number two, and Steve Clifford, number three. Yeager, it's interesting you hear things that jason jones wrote a whole piece about this which uh, of ken yeager he put it very interesting jones is the uh, sacramento pete writer for the athletic of ken yeager continue to reach his young young stars and there are a bunch of quotes on, the, on their relationships and he didn't go so far as to say that the, he hasn't had the greatest relationship with some of these guys but there seemed to be an implication that it's uh, something he needs to continue to work on um but when you just look at the improvement that they've made I mean, this is clearly the second biggest improvement and the second most unexpected at least to me improvement how the hell he got this roster to play average defense i have no idea you can also again point to something that he did strategically which is we're going to run the ball down everyone's sorts and that's how the only way really they managed to have a passable offense was their transition game and taking advantage of what De'Aaron fox could do i thought that in terms of player usage he got the most out of this roster and he had an edict essentially to play two rookies on the second unit and managed to not and two rookies neither of whom uh, Bagley and Giles were great three-point shooters he managed to use Bielitsa really well managed to work the playing time on the perimeter between guys like Heald and Bogdanovich got a lot out of Iman Shumpert which the Rockets necessarily haven't been able to do although Shumpert's been injured so I think I have to go with him at number two, although you can make an argument for any of those guys. And then Clifford, on somewhat similar grounds, he was also hamstrung by having to play Mo Bamba. He was hamstrung by having to play Jerry and Grant. Those are two guys that the front office acquired who just were not playing well. And so now he has been getting adequate bench play out of like Kem Birch and Michael Carter-Williams, who they signed. And then the starting lineup was played really well, getting them to play top 10 defense with Nikola Vucevic and DJ Augustin as your point guard and center and that's really just incredible and if you hadn't been forced to play Mo Bamba and Grant a lot of the year this team would probably actually be much more solid as a playoff team they are going to make the playoffs now nearly certainly with the heat falling off a little bit and so much of this I mean we haven't really mentioned Mike Malone's name yet so much of this is based on what were your preseason expectations and then also how much do you value if a team overperforms its point differential right like Denver they have the point differential of a 51 win team they won 47 last year I would say their talent is pretty much right in line with the high 40s low 50s win team but because the nuggets won a lot of close games early they withstood some injuries early they were number one or number two in the west all season i think that where denver is as a team and thus the assessment of mike malone's coaching is a little bit inflated i don't think i thought he did a good job this year they managed the injuries but i don't think this was some out of this world performance from this nuggets team overall rivers another one where i think he's been awesome you mentioned the trades although they got back some guys who could play in that trade too it just didn't seem like it at the time he's had to manage rookies 
that had to play Avery Bradley you know he probably shouldn't have played him as much but there was a feeling still that he had to play that two of his better guys come off the bench and Harrell and Lou Williams but I also had this Clippers group as a 42 win team before the start of the year and they've won five games more than their point differential would have indicated so they really have been right about the same level I thought they were commensurate with their talent that doesn't mean he hasn't done a good job I think he's done a great job but I don't think that he has overperformed the hand he's been dealt quite the way that Dave Yeager and Steve Clifford has although again like that's been close and McMillan he would have been in there for me too if the Pacers hadn't had this late swoon the way they started playing after Oladipo went down and the way they played with Oladipo I think both of those might have had him in top three consideration but they have I think they're like 20 and 22 now since Oladipo went down which is about right where you would expect I think it may be a, a little bit better than you would have expected it without their star and others that I didn't have quite on this level but I thought deserved mention Lloyd Pierce with Atlanta although another guy who looks better than the team's point differential due to some lucky wins potentially Greg Popovich especially because their starting unit has underperformed partially because I think he hasn't gotten enough shooting in that starting unit but then it, what he's got out of the bench has been awesome Malone has been really good and then Nick Nurse Toronto hasn't had this unbelievable regular season but I just like his overall philosophy, what he's done. He's just someone to watch to me. I think that he may be someone who proves himself to be pretty good in the playoffs, but uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah, that's something actually Tim Bontemps and I talked about on Real Gym Radio, which came out on, I think, Thursday afternoon, about the difference between coach of the year and best coach. I I think Nick Nurse has done a really good job this year, and I've been very impressed with what he has done, but it's not really like a coach of the year type of job. It's, It's more in the big picture. I mean, there have been some years like some of the later years that Steve Kerr has had kind of like that where it's maintaining and everything like that. So yeah, I, th- I think he's he's done a, a very good job overall. And like Quinn Snyder to me is in that candidate. Like, I think he, I think he's a very good coach. I think he's done a really good job this year. But and if we were and if Utah had won the amount of games that I thought they might win, then he would probably would have gotten serious consideration here. But it's a different type of award and I'm totally fine with that. Defensive player of the year. We talked about defense player of the year and our all defense teams on an entire episode at the end of last week so no need to rehash here but we both had Rudy Gobert I think as our defensive player of the year uh sixth man of the year strong field of candidates many with very different resumes and I generally consider this more about I I don't know I don't really know how to define it in terms of valuable versus outstanding there are years where players with more defensive capability get in the conversation that is not necessarily the case this year like Andre Guadalla is somebody that I think we both had more had had higher opinions of in this conversation than a lot of the offense first guys but my list is very offense focused this year my number one is lou williams just a massive role for a team for a guy who comes off the bench 30 32 usage over above average true shooting 56 percent this year and he often closes games so he he bridges a couple of the gaps so he is just a, a a gigantic part of what the clippers do the clippers are a playoff team this year he's my number one my number two is spencer dinwiddie dinwiddie sort of a similar case to lou williams in that they're both huge parts of their offense and both often close games dinwiddie just a little bit he he's a smaller part of the picture than lou williams is which is there's no shame in that lou williams is just gigantic and dinwiddie i would say is a better defender but that's not really any sort of bold statement but didn't we the it's interesting that the the metrics haven't liked his defense nearly as much this year and then that left the last spot for me i went between three guys sabonis Montrez Harrell and Derrick Rose. Sabonis and Harrell have eerily similar offensive cases. Their true shooting and usage rates are, are basically the same. 
I think if Sabonis is a significantly better defender, there are some who would probably want to say, well, Harrell plays more minutes and he often closes games for a team. Totally fine to consider that. I don't as much because the reason Sabonis doesn't is because there's a player above him. And so I think it's a personally, and, and I understand that this is a little bit arbitrary. I don't weight that as much because it's just Harrell having the benefit of not having a better guy above him. And if I think if Sabonis had that, it had the similar dynamic, he would be playing more and, and all that. I had the same first two as you did. Dinwiddie missed some time, hasn't played quite as well since returning from that thumb injury. He's a little bit different of a category than Lou because with Lou not being a point guard really offensively and also having such defensive limitations, it is difficult for him to start. He does close games. He has had some moments for the Clippers uh, to be sure some really good clutch moments as they have outperformed the, their point differential that usage number is just so high though and, and he's come on throughout the year about league average in terms of true shooting whereas Dinwiddie is higher but Williams usage is a lot higher Dinwiddie to me could just be a starting point guard which puts him in a little bit different of a category here there are a lot of these guys who yeah they are valuable as sixth men but they just have too many weaknesses to start for a lot of teams I put Harrell in that category too he actually did not make my top three I'm kind of down on the efficient finishing center type I think there's just such a high replacement level at center that that kind of production is not that difficult to find and Harrell really and he as a having a negative defensive RPM as a center is really I mean he's just a massive problem defensively but Dinwiddie was second for me and then I went with Andre Iguodala for third best in the impact metrics of any of these guys coming off the bench still probably to me the best overall player who comes off the bench in the NBA he had a rough year last year but he's been really good this year he's been efficient on off numbers are fantastic best defensive rating on the Warriors team playing with a lot of energy the the number of minutes that he plays is a lot lower the most number of minutes off the bench by any player this year or any player who is eligible for sixth man is Dennis Schroeder at 2200 Iguodala is down around 1500 Lou is at 1900 so there definitely is a, a difference there in terms of value Dinwiddie despite missing a month is still 15th with 1800 minutes off the bench he's not that much lower than Lou is so I didn't really factor that in too much between those two guys but yeah Iguodala was third I did consider Harrell and Sabonis and then Bogdan Bogdanovich was another guy who I thought has played real well off the bench this year and would have really been in consideration if he'd just been a little bit more efficient than he has been uh, but I thought he, he provided a needed defensive component uh, even though he's undersized on the wing for this Kings team solid passer they also don't really have uh, other guys who are good at running pick and roll outside of Fox so he, he gave them that but just so it wasn't able to quite put up the numbers there um anything else you want to say on six man what do you think of Iguodala's candidacy it's it's a totally worthy choice and especially because he's had had a better year I waited in the the lack of minutes played he also often closes games for the Warriors I mean when they need somebody to he is a part of their best five-man lineup so that that is a factor as well and I mean being a part of the best five-man lineup on one of the best teams in the regular season in the league is is certainly valuable so yeah I probably should have considered him more heavily than I did I mean he's had a he's had a really nice year overall so yeah I have no problem with it all right this is one oh wait no well so we got to do rookie of the year first uh and then we've got a couple of that we haven't done throughout the year that we can surprise you with but to me I thought not a ton of thinking required here for my three spots on the ballot maybe a third a little bit Luka Doncic number one Trey Young has had a better last couple of months but Trey had some awful months early in the season especially that november when he was under 25 percent from three luca has certainly fallen off especially his three-point shooting which is uh, down into the low 30s now 
And I think he's definitely worn down throughout the season. Those trades that Dallas made where they basically punted on the rest of the season weren't great for him either. It may be a little bit too big of a burden for him right now to to actually be the point guard and be the one initiating every single time. So, uh, but if you look at the impact metrics, Young's defense is a major problem. And also for this rookie stuff, maybe more than any other award, I will default to not necessarily who the better player is right now, but if there, if it's close, there's a tie, I look at who I think the better prospect is, who's going to have the better career. You don't want to look back and see Malcolm Brogdon winning Rookie of the Year over Joel Embiid. Even though Joel only played 30 games, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that he should have won Rookie of the Year over Brogdon in hindsight, just given how much better of a player he is. So, like, Rookie of the Year, part of the thought of it is to measure potential to get fans excited about what these players are going to be perhaps not even what they are right now and i do think luca is still a superior prospect to trey due due to his size and fewer defensive limitations trey a clear number two though to me uh did you have those same top two yeah and i I don't think there was much i mean you could trey has been better than luca over the last little while but it's a full season award and over the full season luca has been better i mean if you want to go in terms of the efficiency metrics luca has a higher per i believe he still has a higher true shooting and a higher usage trey does make up some of that usage difference in having a high a higher assist percentage and because i believe as as basketball reference counts it which is what i use i believe that that what the statement i just said makes sense if it doesn't yeah and i think trey puts more stress on the defense than luca does it at this point in time luca for his all of his brilliance you don't have to double team him on the pick and roll or i mean a lot of teams feel they have to do this to double team him on the pick and roll 30 feet from the basket and he he doesn't put quite the same pressure on the defense and pick and roll I mean, he's solid but i don't think you know he hasn't dimed guys up the way trey has where you know player he's just getting guys tons of uncontested dunks and and a lot of that i think is that the hawks have made sure to put good personnel around trey as well but there are schematic elements of dealing with trey that i think it, not quite at this point in time do you have to deal with that stuff with, with luca so I, I i don't think it'd be crazy to go with young but I, I do think if you're really looking at it closely, it's it's got to be Luca. Um, something something that I yeah. found interesting. I looked up I looked it up using cleaning the glasses filters because for both these teams, filtering out garbage time is useful. They have almost identical offensive ratings: 109.5 for Doncic and 109 flat for Trey Young. So I mean, and the surrounding talent has changed for both teams a lot over the course of the year. The Mavericks had better talent and got worse, and then once John Collins got back the Hawks really started looking better and they've had plenty of injuries as as well, but it's been a different story. The third spot was harder, but really the reason it was harder is because to me, the guy who was the best player just didn't play as much. And broadly speaking for me with rookie of the year, it's more in line with all NBA where I go at standing over valuable because most rookies aren't valuable. And so I went with Jaron Jackson. I, I think that he is the third best player in this class as of now. He's been effective on offense and been, I, I think, did a nice job defensively. I don't really factor in that he was playing out of what I feel is out of position, but he was starting, and that's an important distinction as well. Like he was playing, the impact that Jaron Jackson had was going against starters. This wasn't, a, and, I, and I'm not I'm not saying this to denigrate Mitchell Robinson because I, he's going to have a very prominent standing in the next thing we talk about, but Mitchell Robinson largely came off the bench on a team that was bad. And so that is a different set of challenges than Jaron Jackson. Jackson, who was largely competing on a team that wanted to make the playoffs they they didn't they didn't come particularly close and i i give him credit for that for for being in a harder situations and being a strong positive on defense yeah and i think also jackson to me is clearly the third best prospect in this class 
the only thing you can point to is that he only played the 58 games got shut down with this quad injury which slightly concerning that we just ah oh, we're just gonna shut him down with the quad injury no real explanation on what it is or a timetable for when he's gonna be back so hopefully that's not something that's going to affect his career but yeah when you look at his usage above average efficiency defensively he's a, a positive i think everyone would agree with that there are very few rookies who fall in that category Wendell carter actually might be another one so that's really the top three deandre ayton we spent a lot of time on him the two things that hold him back number one i thought his defense was atrocious this year and i don't expect it to get to you know at least a positive level i think it's going to get better but i don't see him being a positive on defense unless he's in a really the perfect system for him where he can do a lot more switching and then while his finishing around the rim is very very impressive some of the best that we've seen he's done a nice job of posting up deep getting good position and scoring i still think that efficient play finishing for a center is one of the more easily replaceable skill sets in the league today and when you're a center and your defense is bad it's really tough to be effective unless you're a Jokic Towns level offensive player which I don't see Aiton getting to and he certain was certainly was not at this season Shea Gilgis Alexander another guy would have considered started for the Clippers all year has some limitations that we've talked about before but it has a lot of length he has at least shot the ball well when he has taken the three-pointer just not a very high volume there and then Marvin Bagley was a, another one I considered but again I think none of those guys can you really point to and say hey they really helped their team win games this year at the level of Jaron Jackson Jr. but now let's get to our all-rookie teams I assume you have those three guys on your all-rookie first team who filled out the remaining two spots two guys that you didn't mention at all um I ended up going uh, to me and, and I think of all rookie the, to me one of the distinctions is that for me this is just the rookies that are having the best years I don't look at all at the pedigree what they're going to be moving forward it's just who are the best who, who are the best rookies and so that means there's a big benefit for me of anybody who can get close to a value add because very few rookies do and so the two that I ended up going with for the last spots Mitchell Robinson there's a I think there's a lot of noise in like his on off metrics type stuff because of the way the Knicks are constructed just like a lot of backups on bad teams have those sorts of things and starters on bad yeah. teams get it the other way I think there's a lot of that with him but I mean very I mean ridiculous shot blocker impressive rebounder and then offensively you know does the things that you that you kind of need him to do out there so I think he's he's been useful for them and then Landry Shamit Shamit versus Shea Gilgis Alexander is interesting because Shamit does less but I think the less he does, he does better. And I wanted to reward that. I I really like the, and contributing on two different teams in the same year was also really impressive for me because you go into a new situation. That Clippers team was looking to find their identity. He's been a part, a huge part of their, their rotation. And yeah, it's true. Shamit does less than a lot of the other guys on this list. Like, I mean, his role versus let's say DeAndre Ayton's role is meaningfully different, but I'm going to give the, I'm going to give the nod to Shamit there. Yeah. He was on my second team. I agree with you if we were just making it about who is more valuable this year he would deserve to be on the first team Ben Taylor was talking about how he fits into some of these criteria as a shooter of some of the great shooters that we've seen now he's not going to be that level of volume necessarily but you know I think he's going to be a very valuable shooter for a, a long time and to contribute positively to two winning teams is just not something you see often with rookies but I, I had Shea and Marvin Bagley on my first team I default a little bit more to looking at the players that seem to have the most potential I, I want to look back at this list 
list in 10 years and feel like I got the guys who played a lot and turned out well and really ended up being relevant in the league whereas for Shamit I had him on my second team but I you know he doesn't have any kind of star potential so I I do think you want to capture that to some degree here so Shea and Marvin Bagley filled out my first team then I had Aiton, Colin Sexton, Shamit, Mikel Bridges, and Mitchell Robinson on my second team. I do think it's quite possible that Robinson ends up a better player than Bagley. We'll see whether his defensive recognition improves, whether he's able to expand his offensive game even a little bit beyond the dunks. But he was worthy of second team for me. I think it was going a little too far on first team, especially just because that Knicks situation was so weird. He didn't play a lot of minutes. He had a lot of injuries too. So uh, I did go with Bagley above but i certainly think you could make an argument for robinson being on first team uh and even colin sexton he was just so bad the first two thirds of the year but he's been so good weirdly the last third of the year i just didn't know what ultimately to make of that but you could make an argument for him on first team and in fact uh the Cavs pr staff has been desperately almost pathetically doing that both on twitter and by emailing every single voter over and over again about how colin sexton should be considered for all rookie first team but uh no he's gonna make my second team but luckily for the Cavs, i don't have a vote so maybe uh maybe this uh pr campaign will pay off for them sexton was one of the i thought it was actually a pretty strong group for a second team there were a lot of guys oh absolutely very and deep so, class this year and so i ended up going with a couple of different guys but i want to mention everybody i considered because it was they they need a little bit of attention here so i the, the five i chose were ayton bagley shea mikhail bridges and jalen brunson i thought brunson's had a really nice year for the mavericks he hasn't come on strong like colin sexton has but he's done a really nice job and was way better in the early part of the season when sexton was a huge negative and so i i totally understand the rationale for sexton it's it's not a big deal but I like the year that Jalen Brunson has had, and I and we look at this differently as as we mentioned. But also Kuruks and Kevin Herter, both guys that are are doing an, a nice job with what they're asked to do. And I wanted to mention them. I seriously consider both of them along with Colin Sexton, and easily could have put any one of those three on my team. Yeah, uh, I had Brunson and Herter as the other two guys that I considered it in this group. And yes, Kevin Knox did play 29 minutes a game and he also had one of the worst seasons in nba history this year so yeah i'm uh sorry I, I, he's was not in consideration yeah to me, me to me guys who are guys who are destructive even if they play a lot of minutes do not get on my all rookie teams like it's just i i hope that i i applied that rationale with dennis smith because i should have if i didn't but i'm pretty sure i did all right this is another one that we haven't talked about much this season and that is the most improved player the criteria official from the nba here is the award is designed to honor an up-and-coming player who has made a dramatic improvement from the previous season or seasons and i will note here that i do not consider second year players and i generally like to go towards guys who have added really totally new skills and dimensions to their game rather than just kind of making imp- incremental improvements at the things that they already were good at um so would you add anything in terms of what your own uh categorization there was or, or your own criteria i should say not particularly i i get i like you don't consider second year guys partially also because a first year specifically especially for point guards and centers is you know their first year is learning a lot getting getting used to the league and so those guys are often supposed to be bad and that means adjusting off of that so like De'Aaron Fox if I used a different criteria would easily be on this list and and could very well be number one because he was 
pretty bad last year and has been awesome this year. But that's what's supposed to happen between your first and your second year. Even if he is one of the more extreme cases that I can remember, he is still relevant. You know, like, so that that's, that's the way I did it. And yeah, like you, I give, I am much, much more favor. I, I favor guys who have improved, like who have different skills, who are showing different parts of their game than players who are doing the same thing and are just more successful at it. Because to me, that's, you know, that is there, that can be improvement. You know, if you're a jump shooter and you're making more jump shots, that, that is improvement, you know, like that, that kind of share idea. But if you have real new elements of your game, if you're contributing in a way that you didn't before, that is a, that is an improvement that I, I, I respect a lot more. So I'll start with my number one. That is Pascal Siakam, who I hope will win the award. Unlike some other candidates, he actually did ascend from far outside of the discussion to a lower end all-star level this season. And he fits into this ethos for me of really just improving his so many aspects of his game, especially over a three-year period. When you remember he was playing power forward his first year and basically just never touching the ball <laughs> for that Toronto team. Uh, last year, we saw a little b- bit more, but he came off the bench. Uh, most of the way, he was kind of an energy guy. And this year now started 77 games. And you remember, he beat out OG Ananobi, who has had kind of a lost year in camp this season. It, you know, it wasn't even necessarily guaranteed that he was going to start. So three-point percentage, increase it from 22% to 36%. Same number of attempts per 100 possessions, but his release is way sped up. He has improved his assists. Actually, no, assists are the same, 4.7 per 100 possessions this year, but doing it on the starting unit. Free throw percentage, 62% to 78%, and he gets to the foul line a lot more. He is taking 5.7 free throw attempts per 100 possessions instead of 2.6 last year. He's been so much more of a grab-and-go guy this season. Really the first time he's been a threat there. They run a lot of stuff for him to attack guys in the post, a lot of dribble pitch action. That spin move that he has developed has been fantastic. He's able to make passes on the move much more so than last year, even if the assist numbers are kind of the same. He's doing it off of his own attacks, which can be a little bit more difficult. His touch around the rim has really improved, increased his true shooting from 55% last year to 62% this year. And he hasn't even gone up in turnovers either. So he really has added so many things to his game. He's remained a, a solid defensive player. Played a career high in minutes this year, almost 2,500 minutes. In the impact metrics, he's one of the best in the NBA, top 20 type of player in PIPM this year. Just everything. And now people were saying, oh, this guy's going to be awesome. I didn't buy it. I was completely wrong. You'll remember at the start of the year, he had a couple times where he tried to do the grab and go and he got stripped by Boston in that game. And it was like, all right, what what is this guy doing? Like, who does he think he is? And uh, no, he's, he's Pascal Siakam. He's really good. And I think in terms of the skills that he has added in just one year to his game, it's one of the more unprecedented improvements that we've seen. You'd have to go back to Jimmy Butler in 14-15, Oladipo last year. I mean, this, this improvement to me is right up there with go- those guys for some of the best, most improved player seasons that we've had. You didn't even mention my favorite one for Pascal Siakam, which is that his usage rate went from, this is using Basketball References version of it, went from 16% to 21%, despite going from being a second unit guy to being a starter. That And I'm doing so on one of the best teams in the league both years. Like That's a really impressive double to get a bigger role, be better in it, and have the team be really good. 
Like that doesn't happen very often. He is a significant part of what the Raptors do so well. Yeah, I have a pretty big gulf between him and my number two. My number two is Nikola Vucevic and Vucevic. Sorry, I should get it right considering I'm just about to honor him. And we've talked a lot about Vuce's growth on the defensive end. The Magic have a 108 defensive rating when he's on the floor. They're also outscoring teams by 3.2 points per under possessions when Vooch is on the floor. That is awfully impressive, especially when you consider that that lineup does not have a lot of star power. He is the, 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 has the most star power of that group. And we talk about the, the, you know, that he's, this is his best defensive year and, and that's all well and good. And that's the, the key part of this. This is also Vooch's best offensive year. He is a career high in true shooting, a career high in usage. And those two factors combined so i i don't i don't use vorp a lot value over replacement player a lot but i just thought because you know it's a, it's kind of an all-in-one where you can actually kind of use some of these things i just wanted to just illustrate this so vooch had played seven seasons in the nba he never had a, a vorp over two plus two he's at plus 5.2 this year which is ninth in the league that is a massive change like that is that is the type of thing type of growth that we don't see very often for a player whether he's going from his second year to his third year and even more rare when they're going from their seventh to their eighth yeah i guess vucevic isn't necessarily an up-and-coming player yeah i cracked up when you said it because i totally forgotten that was in the criteria right but this is really an unprecedented change career highs just about across the board and i thought he was a lower end starting center before this year if if that i thought it would be impossible to build a good defense with this guy on the floor he wasn't efficient he's even improved his free throw shooting or, or free throw rate to the best levels in years Defensive glass, he's been awesome, but it's been a big part of Orlando's defense is cleaning up on the defensive glass. He rarely turns it over. Career high in assist rate, career high in usage, and most importantly, career high in efficiency. This is 57% true shooting. That's 2% better than he's had at any other point in his career. And the impact metrics love him as well. He was a deserving all-star this year. You know, I think we had him seven or eight in our center rankings around that point. And last year I had him low 20s, high 30s. So very, very impressive improvement from him. I am in total agreement that he should be number two. Number three, I doubt we're going to agree on Ivy Giannis. One of my notes was, should we consider Giannis or Paul George? Yeah, John Schumann has been pushing this for for a while, and I agree with him. George, less so to me, because... What he's doing is making shots. Well, that's true. And also, he's not really making shots at much different of a rate than he was in Indiana. He's taking more of them. But it really is more about how down of a year last year was for him and the improvement over that. Whereas if you just look at where he was in his time in Indiana, it's not as much of an improvement. It's certainly an improvement, but it's not just revolutionary. Whereas Giannis... This was an all-time regular season for him. And whether it's the unassisted dunks, whether it's the improved performance on defense, he's actually even throughout the course of the season improved his shooting to where he's going to be close to a threat outside now from three, which is going to be a major problem for these teams that have tried to guard him with their center and had a relative success doing that. But Giannis, 4% better true shooting. Free throw rate is way up highest of his career now. Offensive rebound percentage. I mean, this guy is that big of a star and he's 7.2% offensive rebounds is by far the, the best of his career. Best defensive rebounding of his career. Best assist rate of his career highest usage of his career the only thing that's gone the wrong direction is his percentage of turnovers probably a lot of charging fouls in there i'm guessing but yeah he's been unbelievable and to take the step from top five six player in the nba to maybe the best player in the nba i still didn't have him ranked number one but you did 
and an MVP level, that's huge. And it's hard to take that step for sure. So that's why I had him yeah, number three. I, I, I'm going to, ch- I'm going to change mine to him because, and also Giannis, the, the jump that he made in terms of impact is gargantuan. I mean, going from being an all NBA player and maybe an eventual MVP candidate to the MVP is so important for not only him, but for his franchise. You know, that, that is the type of change, you know, th- there's this idea that's talked about. I heard it first in baseball is probably from fan graphs, like maybe, you know, Saris or somebody that the a replacement win is more valuable at certain parts of this at certain parts of it because that might make the difference between making the playoffs and not or between being a fringe contender for a championship and being the favorite that's kind of how i feel about the improvement that Giannis has made maybe it is a little bit more toned down than some of the other people we can consider but the importance of that step is just huge so d'angelo russell was on my list I and mean, we thought he would be a negative player yeah. i think he's- he, he was my original number three he's the guy who yeah. got bumped for Giannis. and really though he's taken more incremental strides than i think people realize and he's even gone down in some categories it's just number one he stayed healthy number two didn't when he got hurt and number three the team around him has been a lot better i mean compared to last year usage is only up one percent he did cut down on the turnovers which is useful but he gets to the foul line even less than he did last year true shooting is two percent better assist percentage is up but not a crazy amount from 36 to 41 that's an estimate of the percentage of field goals a player assists while he's on the floor that's a basketball reference assist percentage but it's not and impact metrics he's gone from atrocious to okay you know solid starter type of level in those metrics so he's definitely made an improvement but i do i i really value the guys who go from being average or below average to being near all-star level of contributors or from all-star to mvp type of level more than just getting to be competent yeah you made a big improvement but does it really matter that much and yeah okay people would say he is at an all-star level he made the all-star team we've rehashed that many times why we didn't feel like he deserves to be there there really is not a statistical argument other than you know points and assists really for him as an all-star level of player this year uh i also considered yusuf nurkic who had a down year last year and was awesome this year before that broken leg and he was top 20 player in in the the impact metrics defensively took some steps forward some of these guys are not necessarily up-and-coming players but derrick rose it's a little bit less sexy when you're your most improved is still way below the peaks that you've been at in your career but he deserves a, a lot of credit for how well he's done in getting his game back to where he's actually a, a valuable player danny green another guy who was way down last year and now 45 percent for three he's been awesome uh one of the best net ratings in the nba brooke lopez another guy whose star had kind of fallen and in a completely different way now has been awesome with the bucks and then paul george who you mentioned also is there anyone else that you think deserves a little bit of a shout out here i didn't include him but i just i've been so impressed with what blake griffin has added to his game recently i didn't include him because he's done a lot of this before in different iterations a lot of it was about just staying healthy for him right 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 but and he he isn't technically eligible but i just found this stat and had it in this section so i want to mention this jonathan isaac who is in his second year so thus is is ineligible and he wouldn't have made it anyway just because the growth he's had is a little bit different jonathan isaac has improved his true shooting by seven percent despite shooting worse from three and worse at the rim 
because he's taking shots on better parts of the four. You know, he's not taking as many mid-rangers, which he sucks at. And I just wanted to mention that because I thought it was cool. You know, he's getting to the line more. He's making more of his free throws. And so the ways that you can improve despite not actually shooting better is something worth is something that, that teams can consider. You know, I mean, we've seen that to an extent with the Bucks and a lot of other teams. So just taking shots in the right parts of the four can really help guys get more efficient. Or you can be the Spurs and just do it anyway. Okay, let's finish up here, at least for today's episode with the executive of the year. We still got to get to some of our other self-created categories here, but this can knock out the official awards tough one as we've been talking about for a long time because few teams made enormous changes in part due to the lack of cap space around the league but i think messiah jiri has to be number one worth noting that they actually had a worse regular season this year than last year but this is somewhat anticipatory of how they're going to play in the playoffs but getting Kawhi leonard getting danny green as well who is just incredibly valued just to get him as a throw-in and he's uh, been a top 10 shooting guard in the nba this year so they could look to resign getting Kawhi, making themselves just a much more serious championship threat than they had been then the gasol trade was also quite the coup for them not giving up there's one other really big decision he made that i think is working out well for them and that's Dwayne casey for nick nurse yeah that's right we do have to talk about that as well and it was like oh man they're not getting anybody they want they interviewed budenholzer they didn't get him although in retrospect they might have been better off if they had just hired budenholzer supposedly bud was not interested in toronto because he's worried the expectations were going to be too high and also it seems like milwaukee has given him at least some input shall we say on personnel stuff if you look at some of the acquisitions they've made which uh, toronto probably wasn't going to do but you could say toronto should have just if they had hired him just by keeping him away from milwaukee they would have been better off than if they'd hired nurse uh but nurse i think is looking like he's going to be pretty good we'll see uh so yeah i, I think masai has done an awesome job the gasol trade was so good because not only did you get a player who helped you didn't give up a draft pick right with someone they probably weren't going to be able to resign in the offseason anyway due to tax concerns they already had someone in his position with van vliet they were able to get jeremy lynn in the buyout market although he hasn't helped that much he's still a good stopgap for them and they got rid of two bad contracts for next year in valentunas and miles those guys contribute but they're both uh, overpaid had negative value on the market most likely so i, I basically for the cost of Dalon Wright, they got gasol and they got off of money that's a lot worse than gasol for next year so he would be my number one i think it's not really particularly close uh, do you agree with me there i do and then i had two serious candidates candidates that you could make a credible argument in either order it kind of depends on which part of the executive job you value more and for me that is uh lawrence frank and john horst to go through the kind of headlines for both of them john horst hired mike boonholzer who has who was our coach of the year and that is a gigantic decision for the franchise boonholzer was the single best coach that was available and to get him and have him transform this team is is huge they also he he signed brooke lopez traded for nikola mirtich in a deal that only required it was the primary thing they sent back to new orleans was four second round picks two of which are are pretty good and two of which are not good at all that's really impressive and they also did the the kind of the cap clearing trades with cleveland though those required better assets they gave up a first round pick in that yeah. deal having but a already, crappy one though yeah and, and uh, i mean we, we hope so yeah i mean because that's after theoretically after Giannis could be a free agent i believe well but so. and also just to be that far away yes as well as, yeah as there's just, there's definitely negative yeah. value there it's there's never been as far as i know like a pick value chart that incorporates future years in the nba but there would be diminishing returns there unless it's for the double draft but 
so so his case is, is very strong and I mean they they did a lot over the course of the year. I ended up going with Lawrence Frank because of the way that they executed this really challenging double. And that was the idea of being competitive while also clearing their books for 2019 for the summer of 2019 and getting some assets back. So that was in the summer, basically not the only contracts they signed that had any 1920 component to them were Montrez Harrell on a intense value contract, a guy that we both had in six minute of the year conversation, though neither of us had him in our top three and Avery Bradley, who had a small partial guarantee, which they eventually traded. And even though they maybe shouldn't have, I think they got some value for him. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was fantastic. I mean, get yeah. Temple and Jamichael Green for him. Yeah. Know, it's really impressive. The so, Zubach trade. Yes. Uh, so that, that's where I was building to. And so like, I would have had Horst over Frank until the deadline. And then at the deadline, they're, I mean, it's very possible that they just straight up weren't going to re-sign Tobias Harris. They get two first round picks, including that Miami pick, which might end up being very good. We don't know yet at this point from Philly in that deal. They also get Landry Shamit in that deal, who's helping them out and is under, is on a rookie scale contract yeah. for another three years. And then and the Zubach trade. anything up. You yeah. Know, like they didn't have to give up like Patrick Beverly, for example, or I mean, they just, that was. Yeah. And so then that, team. that allowed them to keep the foundation of a team that's still making the playoffs. And so they were able to, this whole idea of, well, you kind of either have to punt or you have to play. They were able to do both. They got their books actually cleaner for 2019 than they had them before. And the Zubach trade is an absolute heist. Like that is the least defensible trade of this league year was trading Michael Beasley, basically just dumping Beasley and to like dumping Zubach, I guess you could say using Zubach as the sweetener to dump Michael Beasley and get Mike Muscala back in the trade. Somebody who who basically the Clippers had just required, who had just acquired as Flotsam was an absolute heist for the Clippers. Yeah. Although supposedly the Lakers just called and asked that they wanted to do that. And the Clippers said, yes, <laughs> that's, sometimes that's, that's all you have reporting. to do. Is it, wasn't yeah. there something like a similar type of story with the Donovan, what became the Donovan Mitchell trade, like the Trey Lyles? I, I don't recall. I think I remember hearing something about that years ago that was like, like that, that conversation was initiated by Denver. It was not initiated by Utah. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. So I think it, I had Frank number two as well. And John Horace slash bike Mudenholzer, uh, at number three we had talked about early in this season the Mavs just for having made the Doncic trade but the Porzingis trade for them I'm not as high on so I think that's something to to look at we'll see I'm not going to say the Knicks when their team is going to win 15 games but when you look at the moves that were made that could change the face of the league that Porzingis trade is going to be a big one we'll see how that ends up turning out it's difficult here because a lot of these moves that were made it's tough to project what's going to happen in the future even that Clippers trade of Tobias if they don't get anyone in free agency this year it doesn't look necessarily as good even if the decision at the time was well made and then Travis Schlenk is another interesting too Lloyd Pierce is looking like a winner in terms of the signing that deal of Trey Young for Luca, it's quite possible that Trey could actually be better than Luca. I don't think that's going to happen, but they did pick up the extra asset as well. We'll see whether Dallas holds on to that pick or not. We'll have to talk about that later on here once the lottery odds get finalized. Well, and, and something else for the Knicks, it was really good that they took Mitchell Robinson at eighth overall and took Kevin Knox at thirty sixth overall. It looks a lot better that way. Uh, I think you meant ninth overall, but yeah, ah, so close, <laughs> so close to a good joke. 
Uh, all right, so we'll be back tomorrow. I think we're going to have a, a fun guest on, and then we'll have a couple of days. It looks like the playoff stuff is sorting out pretty early here, but we still got to go back and look at our preseason predictions. We got to do the rest of our self-created awards, and of course, we'll keep you up to date on, on all the seating stuff, all the lottery stuff, and some of the biggest games as well on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. So we will talk to you all again tomorrow. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.